Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 46 of the Fantasy Law Guy podcast. I'm Nick Garisco at Fantasy Law Guy on Instagram. This is a week five recap and week six waiver wire combo show. I keep dropping the ball! I keep the ball! He did what? Playoffs? We'll talk about playoffs. Who the hell is Mel Kite? They are who we thought they were. We let him off the hook. Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. What the hell's going on out here? Cannot play with him. Cannot win with him. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. Can't wait. You like that? You like that? Just keep trickling the trickling the ball down the field. I saw, son. I saw. Hello? You play to win the game. Hardly. Sends the Saints to the Super Bowl. I had one of the most miserable Sunday experiences watching Red Zone Channel that I can remember. And I'm in a pretty competitive 14-team family league with mostly cousins and uncles. And my wife, Rachel, is in the league as well. Let me just set the scene here for this tragic Sunday that I had. You know, Rachel manages her own team. You know, occasionally she'll ask for help. But for the most part, she does her own thing. And of course, she's basing a lot of her opinions of players based on what she hears when I'm recording this podcast or what she hears when I talk to my friends about fantasy football. But it's early on Sunday morning. We've just gotten up and she tells me, God, all these wide receivers and free agency just totally suck. And I'm like, yeah, it's tough in a 14 team league. And she had mentioned that she needed to find somebody to replace John Brown. And I was setting my own lineups at the time. And I kind of just nodded and and didn't really think about it. So a few hours pass, and it's 11.30 a.m. Central Time. The games kick off at noon. And I'm trying to get all the contingency replacement players from my leagues so I can disclose them to the rest of the league. Because as I've mentioned, I'm allowing my league mates to pick up an alternative backup on their bench to be scored for their starter in the event that like the Bills-Titans game isn't played on Tuesday. So I shoot out a mass text to my leagues at like 11.30 a.m. And I say, hey, if anyone has any Bills or Titans, they want to designate a contingency backup for, you know, this is your last chance. There's 30 minutes until kickoff. And I get some responses. And about 10 minutes before kickoff, I'm about to post a list of alternates to the league for everybody to see. That way there's no confusion. But then right before I'm about to post, I realize, hey, you know, Rachel may actually want to play John Brown. And she may not realize that she can do this. Like, I don't even know at this point if she wanted to find a replacement for John Brown because of the status of the game being in jeopardy, like on Tuesday, whether or not it's going to play, or if she's trying to replace John Brown just because she's just looking for an upgrade. So she's in the other room. So I yell at her. I was like, hey, did you get my text? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, hey, you know you can start John Brown and designate a backup for him if you want. Like the backup will be scored if John Brown doesn't play. And she kind of gave me like a non-answer, like, I don't know, maybe. And I was like, Rach, it's like five minutes before kickoff at this point. Like, you got to decide. Like, do you want me to declare John Brown as the starter and then the receiver that you added this morning as your backup? Because I got to know because I got to let the rest of the league know before your backup kicks off. And she was pretty nondescript about it. She was like, yeah, I guess so. Well, it turns out that that receiver that she added and had – placed in her starting lineup ahead of John Brown was none other than Chase Claypool. 
I kid you not, the rookie wide receiver for the Steelers who scored four touchdowns and he had over 40 points. And Rachel, my wife, currently at least, you know, had Chase Claypool in her starting lineup until she moved him out, you know, to her bench at the last second, you know, in place for John Brown. You know, semi based on my advice or at least my persuasion of informing her that she could do that and she needed to make a call soon. So Rachel was in the room with me when Claypool scored his first touchdown. No way! I don't believe it! And I guess she didn't hear it or notice that it was Claypool who did that. So she really didn't say anything. But I could already tell, you know, I was in deep doo doo when she checked her scores eventually and realized that, you know, he had scored. Because you know she's going to blame me like 100% for this. And she did end up noticing about 30 minutes later. Hey, what's the big idea? And of course, you know, she's tilting, right? Like claiming that I personally and intentionally sabotaged her. I'm not playing against her or anything like that. But she's just, you know, this is all my fault, apparently. And Claypool, shortly after, catches another long touchdown. I could use some help here, Fox. And Rachel is just totally like fuming she's like what the hell like i can't believe this is happening and then like 30 minutes after that claypool scores again nothing nothing's wrong and i'm just totally in the doghouse like i never should have said anything and what was just a funny accident at first just turned into this world of guilt when claypool scored his third touchdown of the day i mean the guy that rachel picked up off the waiver wire and had in her starting lineup that nobody saw coming, like nobody had this guy in the starting lineups, is already the breakout star of the week. And I would have been so proud of her for doing that. I was proud of her for doing that. I mean, like what a turn on, right? Like as a husband, as a fancy football loving husband, for your wife to go and find Chase Claypoint free agency, even if it was a little bit of luck, and, and play him. Until I guess I just dissuaded her to do that. So I'm trying to mitigate the damages here, right? Like, you know, I'm trying to save my marriage by telling Rachel, you know, I was really proud of her for making that call and finding Claypool. Like, I'm giving her mad props saying I never saw it coming and saying, hey, like everybody's going to want Chase Claypool after this week and you beat everybody to the punch and now you get to have him for the future without bidding on him. And maybe, you know, just maybe, Rachel, the, the Bills and Titans game will get postponed and Claypool will end up counting for you as the backup. But none of that is helping, like, at all. Like, she's being nice about it, like, smiling. We're just kind of joking about this being, like, a classic fantasy football situation. But I can tell she's, like, secretly, you know, fuming about it all because she's pretty competitive. And I'm probably, you know, blaming myself maybe more than I should because, honestly, I was just trying to help by reminding her that she can have John Brown in the lineup if she wants. And she's just there in the living room on her computer as I watch Red Zone. And Claypool has a huge 35-yard highlight catch. And that was called back because he only got one foot in. You know, I got another death glare there. Don't relax. We're not done yet. And then another 50-yard catch on the sideline was also called back by penalty. I saw my life flash before my eyes. And each time this happens... You know, she's looking over at me and just kind of either rolling her eyes or just, you know, wanting me just out of the house. Like, I don't even want to look at you. And he scored his fourth touchdown of the day. I forgot to even mention that. His fourth touchdown of the day. Like, literally one of the games of the season 
when this is all said and done. And Scott Hansen, the red zone guy, we're watching red zone, he just can't get enough of it. And he is just totally not helping. He even says, at some point, he even says something like, wow, if any of you happen to have Chase Claypool in your starting fantasy lineups today, boy, is this exciting. And like, it's just so awkward at this point because the, the dude just keeps making plays. And I'm getting like a death glare every time that this guy's name is mentioned, which is, I, I felt like it was so frequent. It's like a thousand times Claypool was making a big play like every 10 minutes. But yeah, I mean, just wow. I mean, Sunday was just a day of regrets there and, and not even for my own teams. So she, you know, she filed for divorce today. No, I'm just messing. But, uh, but actually, you know, to make matters even worse, for my poor wife, you know, playing, trying to do her best in fantasy football, you know, her quarterback was none other than Dak Prescott. So, I mean, damn, I mean, she's, she's played fantasy football for four years and has made the playoffs a few times, but I'd be surprised if she just ever plays fantasy football again after this catastrophic experience and now she's just in a close game with our cousin and it comes down to John Brown like of course it's coming down to John Brown like John Brown needs like 10 points tonight for her to win so I just know John Brown's just gonna put up a total dud you know something no soup for you come back one year because that's just this is how this stuff works so yeah I'm just praying that John Brown is a good night so this doesn't actually cost our win and we can keep on laughing about it but I just thought I would share that story. You know, I'm sure a lot of you have funny fantasy football stories like that, even if they bring about like great shame. And, to, and today's show is a huge one. As I cover and recap all of the fantasy relevant player performances in week five, in their week five games, I'm giving crucial context for their stats. And I'm also going to provide waiver wire advice for players as I go that may not be rostered, but should be. And of course, the vice versa there, where if players can safely be dropped in 12-team leagues. So we have a ton to get to today, and that's why you'll notice this is a longer show than usual. So let's get started. Week 5, here we go. First up, the Baltimore Ravens manhandled the Cincinnati Bengals 27-3 to improve to 4-1, the Ravens are, and Lamar Jackson... Pretty underwhelming day. I would argue very underwhelming day. He did have the two touchdowns, one interception, 180 yards. And this was another win for the Ravens, but only two rushes, three care. I mean, sorry, three yards rushing for Lamar Jackson. And this was his second really bad game in the last three weeks. And his interception was a really bad throw right to the linebacker that he probably didn't see. And he had two other bad throws dropped by defenders that should have been interceptions. And Jackson, he's only averaging 169 passing yards per game since week one. And he's missing easy throws, and his rushing production is way down. You know, only three yards rushing in this game. So the two touchdowns are nice, but Jackson has just been a real average fantasy quarterback, like borderline top 12, and that is not what we drafted him for up high in the drafts, like early second round, late, or, or sorry, early third round, late second round, if you have Lamar Jackson. And he's just been... Somewhat of a disappointing, like not a total bust, but he's just playing like any other solid quarterback is, and that's just not enough. So hopefully the he and the Ravens offense get it going soon. The good news is that Marquise Brown 
finally got it going in this game. 10 targets for Brown, 6 catches, 77 yards, and 1 touchdown. And the usage was nice, especially the short touchdown from 2 yards out where you wouldn't think a small guy like Marquise Brown is utilized. But Lamar Jackson found himself kind of on a scramble drill, and Brown got open, and Lamar Jackson kind of hit him a little bit of a cross-field throw from two yards out, and that, that was nice. And the day, once again, should have been bigger for Marquise Brown. That's like the story of his season so far is missed opportunities. Lamar Jackson missed Marquise Brown on what probably should have been a 31-yard touchdown in the first quarter. And Jackson also just cut a number of drives short with questionable decision-making. Nevertheless, the 10 targets were, you know, it was a great game considering that the Ravens controlled this game throughout against the Bengals. They only mustered three points in this game the Bengals did, so it wasn't that competitive. So the fact that Brown got 10 targets is good, but I just, this is like his third missed touchdown of the year in this game, which is really frustrating. His season could be totally different if they would have connected on even two of those three you know, potential long touchdowns. And Lamar Jackson would have connected on them last season, but he is just off this year. Mark Andrews, another good game here, especially considering the state of tight ends. Nine targets, six catches, 56 yards, and a touchdown. And the Ravens spent their custom amount of time with a big lead, so Andrews' damage luckily was done early. And his five-yard touchdown was a rugged grab where he was clearly interfered with. And Andrews now has five touchdowns on the season after leading all tight ends with 10 last season. That's five touchdowns in five games for Mark Andrews. So good stuff from him. The Ravens running game, more bad news there. 11 carries, 57 yards rushing for Ingram. No targets, no catches, obviously. And the Ingram's 11 carries in this game were shockingly the most of any Ravens back all season which is very strange considering how much you know positive garbage time they've had, like the Ravens just having to salt and ice these games away with massive leads. Like the only game the Ravens have really trailed in is that Kansas City game. And yet, no running back received more than 11 carries on any point in the season. That's because of the three-way committee with Gus Edwards and also J.K. Dobbins. Dobbins had one rush in this game, but it was for 34 yards. And he's clearly the third running back, and he's got a long way to go before he gains the coach's trust, apparently. But I still think Dobbins is a hold. You want to hold on to him for a potential late season or second half of the season surge. But it's just very odd that Dobbins' usage has gone down so much from that week one game where he had seven carries, 22 yards, and two goal line touchdowns. I mean, he's done nothing since then. So he's just a stash at this point. I would not be cutting J.K. Dobbins. As for the Bengals side, Joe Burrow, this was a total disaster. It was his first Welcome to the NFL moment in this one for Joe Burrow. And the Ravens were just a brutal matchup, right? Like, I did not advise, you know, starting Joe Burrow other than in Superflex leagues. He was not a good streaming play against this Ravens defense. And he absorbed seven sacks in this game. He ran for his life. The elite Ravens front just had a field day against the Bengals' protection or lack thereof. And Burrow, you know, he didn't get help from his bad protection, But he also just had a really bad day of decision-making as well. He routinely held on to the ball for too long. Some of the sacks he caused himself. And Burrow, honestly, was lucky to escape with only two turnovers. He had 183 passing yards in this game, zero touchdowns, one interception, and a fumble loss. And his interception was just a horrible throw. Burrow just took such a pounding that the Bengals opted to just run out the clock with Joe Mixon in the fourth quarter. 
And Mixon, he had 24 carries in this game, which is great, but only 59 yards, no scores, but he had six catches for 35 yards. So great usage from Joe Mixon. A sizable chunk of this, of his yards and catches, came on a fourth-quarter drive with the Bengals were just running out the clock down 27-0, and they just featured Mixon like on every play of that drive, including a lot of his catches. And Mixon actually should have had a monster seventh catch that would have went for you know probably at least 20, 30 yards, but Burrow kind of flat, just flat out missed him on a check down throw. So, but this is good usage for Mixon. Things are looking up. He had that blow up game against the Jacksonville with Jaguars in Week Four, where he won you your week, and now he's starting to see more of a role in the receiving game over Gio Bernard. So, I think things are trending up for Joe Mixon if. Somebody wants to sell low. I would say, you know, go ahead and buy Mixon low if you can get good value for him. And if you just have him on your team, I just think he's worth a hold. He's going to have some bad games like this. And it actually wasn't a totally bad game in PPR formats. But there will also be days where, you know, he's able to find the end zone. But you want to hold on to running backs who are getting this type of workload. As far as the passing game goes, you know, A.J. Green, zero catches in this game. He exited right after halftime. With a hamstring injury, it's likely the same hamstring that he missed nearly all of training camp with. I mean, he is just, he's washed at this point. You can go ahead and cut A.J. Green. Tyler Boyd did not do much in this game. I mentioned that it was a really, really tough matchup against Marlon Humphrey, who's one of the best corners in the league, and he lines up at the nickel corner position. And Tyler Boyd's their slot corner, so they were facing up against each other often. Six targets, four catches, 42 scoreless yards for Tyler Boyd. It was a game to forget. And Burrow took seven sacks, like I mentioned, countless other pressure. It was just not a good game for Tyler Boyd in this passing game. One of the misconnections here was an in route where, or a dig route where, Tyler Boyd slipped on. He slipped and fell what, what could have been like a 13-yard game, but it just wasn't, nothing was really going for Tyler Boyd. And that was kind of expected going into this game. T. Higgins, eight targets, four catches, 62 yards. And this was actually a pretty good outcome on an afternoon where Joe Burrow was just kind of running for his life and the Bengals were almost shut out. And Higgins now has at least six targets in four straight games, while A.J. Green is once again hurt. So I'm really liking uh, the arrow pointing up for T. Higgins. And I'll talk about him more in my waiver wire segment of this show. But in, in some here, if he's still on your wire out there, you need to go ahead and add him. He could have a strong second half of the season. So moving on to the Houston Texans, they got their first win of the season. As I predicted in their first game without Bill O'Brien, and it was against the lowly Jaguars of Jacksonville. 30 to 14 was the score. Both teams are now one and four. And Deshaun Watson, this was one of his better games. I mentioned that he was one of my starts of the week this week. I figured he was going to have a top eight fantasy day, and he did. He had a top five fantasy day. 359 passing yards, three touchdowns, and two interceptions against the Jaguars, and it was against the Jaguars defense missing three starters, including Miles Jack, their best defensive player, DJ Hayden, their nickel corner, and CJ Henderson, their number two corner. And all of Deshaun Watson's touchdowns were deep shots with his longest to a wide open tight end, Darren Fells. And, and Watson's first interception was tipped. And his second was just kind of a forced throw to Will Fuller in double coverage. That was a bad decision by Watson. But Watson is definitely trending up in his first game without Bill O'Brien. Will Fuller, eight targets, four catches, 58 receiving yards, and one touchdown. This was another good but not great game from Will Fuller. And Fuller, he saw fewer targets than Brandon Cooks. He saw 12 targets in this game. 
and they just couldn't get much going downfield. I mentioned the forced throw to Will Fuller in coverage, and that was a downfield pass. And, and Fuller did score on a red zone throw where he made a catch at the goal line. He kind of slid down. He wasn't touched, so he quickly got up into the end zone before the defense could catch up. And Fuller has at least 100 yards or a touchdown in all but one game this season, and that was that Week 2 game against the Ravens where Fuller exited halfway through and dealt with the hamstring issues that whole game, and that was a goose egg. But Fuller has been good in four or five games this season, so great stuff from Will Fuller so far. Brandon Cooks, after a total zero in Week 4 against the Vikings, literally zero catches on three targets, you know, zero points for Brandon Cooks in Week 4, he just totally exploded in week five, 12 targets led the team eight catches, 161 yards, and a touch against the Jaguars. And he took advantage of them missing their cornerbacks. And Cooks just looked great in this game. He even took a huge shot from a defender that got ejected in this game. And it was up high, like kind of near his head, and which is great considering Brandon Cooks' concussion history. is great that he was able to play through that. And he actually got pumped up after that. And he just looked sensational in this game. So Cooks, just an every week boomer bust play. And this was his first boom game of the year. But at least we know he is still capable of it. David Johnson, a pretty ho-hum day here. He got the usage, 17 carries, 96 rushing yards, zero touchdowns, two receptions for seven yards. Most of DJ's production came with Houston running out the clock on their final drive, including a 31-yard run to seal the game in this game. And this is a step forward based on his latest games but Johnson just didn't look that great against the Jaguars defense missing several starters you know a week after Joe Mixon just totally ripped them so I'm feeling less confident about David Johnson now than than I was and feeling more confident about Will Fuller being a good pick but we will have to see uh, Duke Johnson there's talks of him getting more usage so hopefully you know he's already cut into David Johnson's pass game load but David Johnson just needs to be able to find the end zone the Texans need to start uh, winning games other than this one and I, I think David Johnson is definitely a hold at this point not that you're considering cutting but I'm saying not somebody that I would want to sell but he's also not somebody I would want to buy low either just kind of you know an every week volume based RB2 that's just not spectacular but you know not bad either but I certainly had higher expectations for David Johnson going into the season. I just thought the Texans were going to be better than this. So on the Jaguars' side of the ball, here we have Gardner Minshew, 300 passing yards for the second straight week. Two touchdowns, zero interception, but he did have a fumble loss. And the stats look pretty good for Minshew, like a quality streamer, like I mentioned he would be against a poor Texans defense. But Minshew did take three sacks, and he did have a costly fourth-quarter fumble. And it's the Jags' third straight loss, you know, in the third straight game, kind of in a cozy defensive matchup. Like, Minshew's really been blessed with a favorable schedule so far this season. And Jacksonville was chasing points in the second half once again. And DJ Chark, he left in the fourth quarter with an ankle injury. I'll talk about that in a second. And according to Rich Rebar, the Jaguars are currently sitting at a 17-2 pass-to-run ratio inside opponent's 10-yard line. So inside opponent's 10-yard line, the Jaguars have thrown 17 times and ran the ball only two times. And that's one of the reasons that James Robinson isn't producing like he should be. The Jags are just so pass happy. And usually it's because they're trailing in the red zone. But I, I hope that will regress back to the mean sooner than later. DJ Chark, four targets, three catches, 16 yards. What a total dud 
that DJ Chark was. I thought he was going to have a good game in this game. I was wrong about that. He exited in the fourth quarter with an ankle injury, but he had done nothing before then. And according to Dr. Jeff Mueller, DJ Chark has had prior ankle injuries in 2017 at LSU, in September of 2019, in December of 2019, when he missed games, in September of 2020, so earlier this year, and now October 2020. So the ankle is problematic. For DJ Chark, we'll have to keep an eye on that. LaVisca Chenault, another pretty solid game here. Eight targets, season high. Seven catches, season high. 79 receiving yards, no touchdowns. But Chenault led the Jags in targets, and he was held out of the end zone for the fourth straight week. And Chark departed with his ankle injury, like I mentioned. So I think LaVisca Chenault, his role is definitely going to continue to grow, as I've mentioned. I've mentioned on like every other week, like the last three weeks, to be picking up LaVisca Chenault in free agency if he's still there. And I will mention it again later in this show. But now, for sure, LaVisca Chenault should be rostered in all 12 and even 10 team leagues at this point. He could be a real league winner in the second half of this season. James Robinson, speaking of league winners, he had been up to this point. However, this was his first uh, dud of a game. 13 carries, 48 scoreless yards. And he did have five catchers for 22 yards, although he also had a fumble loss. And Robinson kind of looked like an undrafted rookie uh, that he is in this game. It was his worst game by far. You know, he lost a fumble when he was sacked on a wild card or a wild cat pass, like on fourth down. And he just didn't get any red zone chances really with the Jags throwing it four straight times inside the five-yard line. I mentioned that they've thrown 17 times inside the 10 and run only two times inside the 10 so, yeah, James Robinson, I think that he's still a fringe RB1 despite this bad game against a, an, an easy opponent, but he's still getting the usage, right? He, like He's getting more catches lately, five catches in this game, and they didn't run more than 13 times in this game because of game script, negative game script here. But I like James Robinson going forward, and I actually think this is a good time to be buying him low. Okay, next game, Carolina Panthers. They held on to beat the winless Falcons. 23-16. I thought this game was going to be higher score than scoring than it was. Carolina is now 3-2, along with the Bucks and Saints in the NFC South. So pretty crazy stuff from Carolina, who a lot of people projected, including me. I, I thought they were going to be like a 5-11 and 11 team. But this Matt Rule, this Joe Brady offense is, is picking up sooner than expected. And their defense, you know, still pretty bad, but not nearly as bad as it was last year. 313 passing yards for Teddy Bridgewater. I mentioned that he was the streamer of the week. And two touchdowns, zero interceptions, and he definitely hit. Uh, the Panthers, they were cooking offensively. But of course, you know, playing against the Falcons, league worst defense definitely helps. And Bridgewater actually completed 27 of 33 throws in this game, remaining very accurate. And he just looks, he looks more mobile lately. And, it, and most of his damage was done in the first half with Carolina nursing a lead in the second half. And he just looks much more comfortable in this offense as he gets more and more familiar with this new scheme after a COVID-shortened offseason. So, yeah, props to Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, he's been pretty impressive, especially in his last two games. And he's definitely on the fantasy football radar uh, as a streamer. And somebody who got back on the fantasy radar is DJ Moore. Five targets, four catches, 93 yards, and a score. It was his first touchdown of the year. And Moore just kind of burst up the sideline for a 57-yard touchdown on a quick out. And he was quiet for the rest of the game. And unfortunately, he saw a whopping eight fewer targets than the Panthers' new number one receiver, Robbie Anderson. But this was a nice game in an easy spot here for DJ Moore. 
But Robbie Anderson, man, what one of the stories of the year for fantasy football. 13 targets in this game, 8 catches, 112 yards against Atlanta. Anderson, he hit a sweet one-handed snag down the sideline in this for like 30 yards. He, he led the team in targets once again. He had 8 more looks than DJ Moore. And Anderson is just making big plays all over the field. Deep, intermediate, short, and he continued to be a stud in a very easy matchup today. Robbie Anderson is a borderline number one receiver right now based on the volume he's getting. And that, and when I say number one, I mean top 12 receiver in fantasy football. So that is pretty stunning. What's also stunning is Mike Davis. 16 carries, 89 yards, but 10 targets, 9 catches, 60 receiving yards, and a touchdown. And Davis continues to post Christian McCaffrey-like production in McCaffrey's absence. And he looked like an elite running back once again today, or Sunday, I should say. And once again, just peppered in the passing game. It's honestly like this offense hasn't missed a beat without Christian McCaffrey. And he's getting more targets than Christian McCaffrey was to open the season, although I attribute that to you know the Panthers just not being uh, used to their new offense yet. And I just can't wait for Christian McCaffrey to come back because you know, then it will be McCaffrey putting up the Mike Davis numbers. But man, Mike Davis is really playing his way into you know a decent-sized role. Not a big role, but maybe like six to eight touches a game and potentially close-out work, like if the game's out of hand on whatever side, uh, in, in, in terms of spelling Christian McCaffrey. But this system for running backs looks awesome under Joe Brady. And you should give yourself a major pat on the back If you spin up the fab money or the waiver wire claim on Mike Davis, he has been a top five running back in the last three games uh, that Christian McCaffrey has missed. I think he's going to miss another week and probably return in week seven. But that's just my estimation. So let's move on to the Falcons side of the ball. And that's reluctantly because I just don't really want to talk about the Falcons because they stink. And Matt Ryan also playing horrible football. It's his fourth straight game without with not throwing for 300 yards and Julio Jones being out. You know, Matt Ryan has looked very bad without Julio Jones. Like we cannot be starting him anymore as a quarterback one, even in the best matchups, which this was a good matchup, unless Julio Jones is back on the field. Matt Ryan, he's feeling pressure that isn't there. He's missing passes he normally makes. Atlanta's offensive line seems better than last year. And they're opening up holes for Todd Gurley. And Dan Quinn has been obsessed with running the ball on first down, as they should. I mean, that's the the way the Falcons are moving the ball. And Matt Ryan hasn't thrown a touchdown since the first quarter of week three. So it's been 11 straight quarters. That was a one-yard touchdown, by the way. But it's been 11 straight quarters since Matt Ryan has thrown a touchdown. And the Falcons fired general manager Thomas Dimitrov and head coach Dan Quinn, they've named Raheem Morris as the interim head coach. They have not fired their offensive coordinator, so things are expected to be the same. You just really need Julio Jones to get back healthy for this offense to start clicking again. What an impact that Julio Jones and Michael Thomas uh, for the Saints are showing that they have uh, with them off the field. And Julio, you know, he missed uh, this game with a hamstring injury, so hopefully he's getting right. Calvin Ridley, he did show up for this game. Ten targets, eight catches. 136 yards is almost half Matt Ryan's uh, was half Matt Ryan's passing total, which is 50%, or I should say is a greater than 50% yardage share for Calvin Ridley. So that's really exciting. And the Falcons offense, you know, just looks so broken right now, but Ridley, he looked healthier this week 
And, you know, he ate once again in garbage time, which is it's looking like the Falcons will have a lot of that. Hayden Hurst, he did not eat in garbage time. He disappeared. It was his worst game of the season. Six targets, two catches, eight yards. And this is a painful stat line for Hayden Hurst, who seemed like he was just running a lot of low-value routes near the line of scrimmage, you know, just for a broken offense. And Hurst, he was missed twice in the end zone by Matt Ryan, who was just awful in this game. You know, I guess you just hold on to Hayden Hurst because the rest of the tight ends in free agency are not much better, if at all. But yeah, he's just been somewhat of a disappointment this season so far. And he seems like one of those guys who either has like, you know, 14 fantasy points or three fantasy points or, you know, somewhere in between. His ceiling is just very low is what I'm trying to say there. So Hayden Hurst, pretty disappointing. Todd Gurley, not disappointing. Todd Gurley, 14 rushes, 121 yards and a score against Carolina's pathetic run defense. But Gurley, he got the day started with a 35-yard touchdown that required just nothing but sprinting up the middle. The Falcons' offensive line is blocked much better this season as they're healthier, and the Panthers' run defense continued to be a sieve in this game. Gurley's lateral movement is questionable, and he can't really he's not really involved in the receiving game anymore, but he's getting what's blocked, and he's scoring touchdowns. And he's been way better than I thought he was going to be. I thought Todd Gurley was going to be a total bust this season, like Leonard Fournette and Le'Veon Bell. But Gurley has been pretty good. He now has five touchdowns through five weeks. So good stuff from Todd Gurley. So moving on to the Vegas Raiders. They stunned the Kansas City Chiefs 40-32 to in a huge divisional upset shootout and Vegas is now three and two Kansas City four and one I gotta apologize to Vegas because of my morning preview show on Sunday I said that you know Clyde Edwards Elaire other Chiefs players should all be in starting lineups because this could be you know a blowout for the Chiefs and I actually bet on the Raiders in this game to cover the spread which was like 12.5 points they were giving the uh the Chiefs but I mean I just thought that was way too much But I figured the Chiefs were going to win this game by about, you know, a touchdown, 10 points, something like that. But no, the Raiders, they came to play. And they now have wins against the Saints and the Chiefs this year. And their only losses are to the Buffalo Bills, who are running hot, and the New England Patriots in like an impossible spot that they were put in there. So the Raiders, honestly, I think they're going to make the playoffs. I really do. I think they're going to make the playoffs in the AFC and I'll call it right now, uh, just to put it on the record, I think the, the Raiders will be a playoff team. And I'm glad that I have the over on them winning, like, I think it's like eight games this year was their over-under. And I have money on the over, which is looking pretty promising so far. But enough about the betting there. Let's talk about the fantasy implications here. The, the game from Derek Carr, the number one quarterback on the week, I believe. 347 passing yards, three touchdowns, one interception, and Carr looked terrible at first. He threw an ugly interception on a floated pass as the Raiders fell into a 14-3 hole. And I was like, oh gosh, it's going to be a Chiefs blowout. But then he proceeded to outduel Pat Mahomes from that point forward, and he hit Henry Ruggs and Nelson Aguilar in stride on dime touchdowns of 59-72 and 72 yards, leading the Raiders to an upset win. Henry Ruggs First time back in two weeks after his knee issue, three targets, two catches, 118 receiving yards, and one touchdown. 
And Ruggs was questionable with a knee injury going in. And Carr, you know, he found Ruggs like a step or three ahead of a defender down the sideline for a 40-yard gain. And that actually could have been a long touchdown as well if it was thrown well. But Ruggs just did a great job of slowing down and kind of high-pointing the ball over a defender's head. And, and just Ruggs just has elite leaping ability. And Carr also found Ruggs just dusting the secondary on that 72-yard touchdown grab uh, that Carr did put right on the money in stride to Henry Ruggs. Brian Edwards was out for this game. Darren Waller uh, continued his greatness. I mean, he's been such a great pick. And I was off on Darren Waller this year. But the state of the tight end position is brutal. And, and Darren Waller has been a lifesaver at tight end. Seven catches, I'm sorry, seven targets, five catches, 48 yards, and a touchdown. His seven targets led the team, and he scored on a five-yard catch in the second quarter. Waller looked good as usual. And Josh Jacobs, he had a way better game than I thought he was going to have. Of course, I kept him starting in all my lineups because you're not sitting someone with this volume. But 23 carries, 77 yards rushing, two touchdowns. A big surprise there in what we thought was going to be negative game script. Two catches, eight yards. Jacobs, he didn't break any big plays, but he ran really tough and bowled over defender at the goal line for his first touchdown to give the Raiders a six-point lead in the fourth quarter. And his second touchdown, he sealed the game from two yards out late in the game. Devontae Booker and Jalen Richard, they did combine for 13 touches behind Jacobs in the shootout. Henry Ruggs, you need to make sure that he is not on your waiver wire. I'll talk about him when we get to the waiver wire portion of this show after the matchups. But Henry Ruggs would be my number one waiver wire ad right now if somebody got frustrated and dropped him. As for the Kansas City Chiefs, Pat Mahomes didn't look that great in this game once again, but he did have a great fantasy day. 340 passing yards, two touchdowns, one interception, six rushes, 21 carries. I'm sorry, 21 rushing yards and one rushing touchdown for Pat Mahomes. So the three scores and 340 yards were great. And on the opening drive, Pat Mahomes uncorked a beautiful deep ball from about 60, it was like 60 yards in the air, perfectly placed to Tyreek Hill for a 75-yard touchdown. But it was actually called back by holding, and Mahomes ended up having another score called back, and that was to Clyde edwards Lair and on a short touchdown. So Mahomes' day could have even been bigger. However, with that said... Mahomes looked pretty shaky in the second half of this game. He only completed 22 of 43 passes for the game, and the offense only had 25 yards of total offense in the second half until very deep into the fourth quarter with the Chiefs trailing by multiple scores. You know, Mahomes, he didn't play that well in reality for the second week in a row, despite a number of like incredible plays that only Mahomes could make, like here and there. Like every sporadically, you'll have one of those sensational plays. But just from a consistency standpoint, not very good. He could have been picked off a few more times. Uh, and he just drops back like way too far, making throws more difficult than they need to be. That's something I've noticed about Mahomes this year. I mean, when he drops back, he's not just dropping back like five, seven-yard drop back. I mean, he's dropping back like almost 12 yards. It's crazy. So it's a good thing he has a good arm. Uh, I guess he just wants to be able to see the defense better. I'm not really sure. But I think he drops back too far back. But maybe that's just a personal pet peeve. Tyreek Hill. Three catches, 78 yards on six targets, but three rushes, 15 rushing yards, and one rushing touchdown. So the rushing touchdown kind of saved his day. And again, Hill caught a 75-yard bomb touchdown for Pat Mahomes. Wild dub recovered on a beautiful throw for about like 60 yards in the air. It was just an incredible touchdown. It was a shame it was called back by holding penalty. And so his night could have been, or his day could have been a lot bigger. Mahomes, he took a few more deep shots to Tyreek Hill, but nothing really connected. And Hill, he did score on the end around in the red zone. And Tyreek Hill scored in every single game 
this season. He has one touchdown in all five games. Whereas last year and years prior, we've seen Tyreek Hill be like a total boomer bust option. This year, he's just steady, consistent, consistently good games every single week. So Tyreek Hill, definitely a top five receiver in fantasy football. Sammy Watkins, he exited after scoring a touchdown and he had 24 receiving yards. He exited in the second quarter with a hamstring injury. It's expected he's going to miss multiple weeks. McCall Hardman, he only had 50 yards on two catches. He did most of his damage in one catch in the fourth quarter with the Chiefs trailing. He showed his speed on that play, but McCall Hardman, if he got dropped in free agency, it is time to make waiver claims on McCall Hardman. He is going to be pretty good in the absence of Sammy Watkins, and this is his chance. This is what we wanted. We wanted an injury to either, if you have McCall Hardman, you wanted an injury to either Tyreek Hill or Sammy Watkins, and now you're going to get the opportunity for McCall Hardman to try to win this receiver two job for the valuable Kansas City offense. So he is one of the top waiver wire ads this week if he is available in leagues. Travis Kelsey, Eight catches on 12 targets, 108 yards, and one touchdown. I mentioned this could be a smash spot for Travis Kelsey, and indeed it was. Kelsey, he found the end zone for the third time in five weeks on a seven-yard touchdown in the fourth quarter. He could have had another touchdown, but the defender kind of jarred it loose as they were both kind of high-pointing the ball in the end zone. And Kelsey, he had an offensive pass interference penalty on an illegal pick that took a Clyde Edwards-Elair touchdown off the board. And Edwards-Elair, not strong in this game. 40 yards rushing, 40 yards receiving. He did have eight targets, but and he had the reception uh, called back that he scored on an illegal pick penalty by Kelsey. And, I mean, his 13 touches just marked a season low, and the Chiefs surprisingly found themselves trailing in the fourth quarter. This was the fourth straight underwhelming game after a breakout week one. It is time to buy low on Clyde Edwards-Elaire. They, he will get it going at some point. That is a near certainty as long as he stays healthy. All right, let's talk about the Arizona Cardinals. They steamrolled the New York Jets as expected, as everybody does. Um, Arizona, 3-2 and two now. And Kyler Murray, 380 passing yards, one touchdown, one interception, nine rushes, 31 rushing yards, and one score there. His two-yard rushing touchdown was a designed run, and it was his fifth touchdown on the ground this season in five games, which is amazing. And the Jets just offered minimal pressure as expected. And Murray kind of worked his connection with DeAndre Hopkins uh, with ease. And he took numerous chances downfield, unlike in recent weeks when everything's been short. DeAndre Hopkins, another blow-up week. Seven targets, six catches, 131 yards, and a touch. It was Hopkins' fifth straight game with six or more catches. And he just kind of bullied a rookie cornerback when he was paired up, beating him one-on-one for a 45-yard catch. And then again on a 37-yard 50-50 ball, like touchdown in the corner of the end zone. It was nice to see Murray target him on the deep passes. And it was also nice to see Murray continue to throw when the Arizona Cardinals had this game pretty much locked up. Week five for Christian Kirk was pretty good. It was his best week to date. Seven targets, tied with the team lead, five catches, 78 receiving yards. It was against the Jets, of course, but it was Kirk's best performance of 2020 nonetheless. And he was consistently used as both a downfield weapon and on intermediate routes. I think that he's worth a waiver wire ad, but I'm not bidding a lot of money or free agent fab money on Christian Kirk. But he's worth a speculative ad, I would say. Kenyon Drake, another pretty slow outing here. He he did find the end zone. 18 rushes, 60 yards in a touch, but only one catch for two yards. And Cliff Kingsbury said that he needed to get Kenyon Drake going this week, and he certainly tried. He gave Drake the first two carries, but then Chase Edmonds came in and immediately entered the game 
and took his first carry 29 yards for a touchdown. And Kenyon Drake later scored on a goal line plunge when you know he showed some life in the on a on a third quarter drive. But he's looked like a running back who has averaged 3.2 yards a carry, uh, which he has. Edmonds, Chase Edmonds, he played a season high 45% of the snaps, while Drake played 67% of the snaps. Total cu- touch count was 19 to nine in Drake's favor for now. But we're starting to see a change in the guard. I would be highly investing in. Chase Edmonds, if he's available in your free agency. And for the Jets' side of the ball, Sam Darnold, he did not play. Joe Flacco started this game. And Jamison Crowder, he's played in three games this year, and he's had three 100-yard games with at least seven catches in every game, a score in two of those games. Here, 116 yards receiving, one touchdown on eight catches, on 10 targets for Jamison Crowder. Crowder remained the only bright spot for this dumpster fire of a team. You know, he has been awesome when he's been playing this season. Le'Veon Bell, he returned from his short-term IR with a hamstring issue. 13 carries, 60 scoreless yards, one catch, one target, seven yards. Again, Joe Flacco started, and this team is terrible, so it's just tough to, you know, you can take everything with a grain of salt. But Bell looked like he lacked explosion. You know, anytime he was asked to, like, turn the corner in the first game, back coming from back from his hamstring issues, he outtouched Frank Gore only 14 to 9, but he only saw one target in the game where the Jets were trailing throughout. And Bell played 67% of the snaps and he only saw 13 to 22 running back carries. I think they're just trying to ease him back in, but Frank Gore will continue to have a role in order for Le'Veon Bell to pan out. They're going to need to feature him in the receiving game because touchdowns are going to be few and far between in this pathetic Jets offense. So Bell needs to be utilized as a receiver, and that's one of his best skill sets. But you're not seeing Adam Gase do it because he is the worst. All right, next game is the Steelers. They beat the Philadelphia Eagles 38-29 in the Battle of Pennsylvania. Pittsburgh is 4-0. Philly is 1-3-1. and Big Ben Roethlisberger. Pretty strong streaming game from Big Ben against the Eagles defense. 239 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions for Big Ben. He was able to connect with Chase Claypool deep on multiple occasions. And other than that, he looked for easy completions for most of the game. The Steelers offensive line gave Roethlisberger a clean pocket for most of this game. Juju Smith-Schuster, disappointing day here. Five targets, four catches, 28 yards, no touchdowns for Smith-Schuster. And he was not able to capitalize on Deontay Johnson's early exit, but Chase Claypool was. And Smith-Schuster has three touchdowns in four games, but he has not led the Steelers in targets in any game this year. The Steelers, you know, they have a lot of mouths to feed in this offense, especially now that Chase Claypool is emerging. And Deontay Johnson, I mean, sorry, Juju Smith-Schuster is getting a lackluster target share in this offense. Deontay Johnson exited in the second quarter with a back injury. This is his second straight game where he exited with zero fantasy points, which is just brutal if you've been starting Deontay Johnson the last two weeks. And Chase Claypool had a monster day in his place. Let's talk about Chase Claypool here. 11 targets, 7 catches, 110 receiving yards, 3 touchdowns, and a rushing touchdown. And he was on Rachel Garisco's bench. But Claypool stepped up in a major way with four total touchdowns. The Steelers were scheming ways to get their rookie playmaker the ball. Deontay Johnson, he exited in the second quarter, but Claypool had already had two touchdowns before he exited. I know that's going to be on a lot of people's minds is, was this performance based on Deontay Johnson exiting the game? 
Like, can we trust this to continue? We probably can't. But it is worth noting that Claypool already had two touchdowns prior to Deontay Johnson exiting. It's also worth noting that Claypool had a 30-yard catch overturned on review, like I mentioned in my intro, where it was determined that he only got like one foot or knee in as he dove for the ball. Or I should say he only got one foot in as he dove for the ball because the knee counts as two feet, as John Madden taught us. But Claypool actually, he also had another 50-yard catch down the right sideline, but he was called for OPI, offensive pass interference, on a questionable call. So this game could have been even bigger for Chase Claypool. And Mike Clay, you know, he noted that Claypool was actually the luckiest player in the touchdown department this season so far because he has five touchdowns despite a 1.1 OTD, which is opportunity touchdowns and zero end zone targets. So in that sense, yeah, Clay, Claypool is going to regress there, but there was some meat on the bone left in, in this game. So I, I don't know. I, I like Claypool as, as somebody going aggressively, you know, spending your money in fab to get Chase Claypool. I, w- I wouldn't go all in. I don't think I would go all in because he's going to be volatile. I mentioned that the Steelers have a bunch of other weapons, especially with Deontay Johnson coming back. It doesn't look like it's a very serious injury. But yeah, I would definitely be spending some fab putting some bids on Chase Claypool. I'll talk about him more in the waiver wire segment of the show after the matchups. James Conner, 15 carries, 44 rushing yards, one touchdown, three catches, 19 yards. It wasn't a great day for James Conner. He didn't look that explosive in this game. The Steelers, they gave Conner an attempt inside the five-yard line, and he got three yards early in the game. And then the Steelers called a timeout, and the next play they put in Benny Snell. And it almost seemed designed that they wanted Benny Snell to be the goal line back. But then he got stuffed on the next carry. And after that, they followed with some trickery, you know, rushing touchdown, of course, to on the receiver end around Chase Claypool from two yards out. But Connor, you know, he seeded seven carries to Benny Snell. Five of them came in the fourth quarter. And Connor's touchdown luckily was a, a goal line plunge, I believe, in the third quarter. So, yeah, I mean, he's getting, I wouldn't say he's a full workhorse here, but he's getting the majority of the, uh, the carries and RB catches on a on a good Pittsburgh Steelers team, an undefeated team, an offense that's moving the ball with Big Ben. So Connor, you know, in every week RB2, I would say high-end RB2. But yeah, this wasn't a great game from Connor. It was just a solid game. For the Eagles side of the ball, Carson Wentz, 258 passing yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. And Wentz made a handful of downfield throws to Travis Fulgham, who had 13 targets, 10 catches, 152 yards, and one touchdown. He's definitely in free agency in your leagues. And I will talk about him more on the waiver wire segment of this show. The Steelers had no answer for Fulgham, but ultimately Carson Wentz struggled to elude the Steelers' pass rush uh, towards the end of the game, and and he missed players on intermediate routes. Right tackle Lane Johnson exited before halftime, which made matters even more difficult for a quarterback who was missing several pass catchers, of course, as Carson Wentz is, Zach Ertz appears washed. You know, he's thrown nine interceptions in five games. And though I will say his one of his interceptions today was, or on Sunday, was a Hail Mary. Deshaun Jackson, he did not play. Jalen Rager didn't play. Alshon Jeffrey did not play. Zach Ertz played, but he may not as well have. Dallas Goddard did not play. Ertz, six targets, one catch, six yards. So in the last two weeks, let's do some math here. In the last two weeks, Ertz has... 11 combined targets for five catches for 15 yards combined in the last two weeks. Ertz doesn't look washed anymore. He is washed. He's done for. The Eagles, they aren't looking his way despite all the injuries to Carson Wentz's supporting cast. What's going to happen when they get all of these targets back? Ertz, 
I think can be dropped in fantasy leagues if you can find if you have a better tight end or you just need the roster spot. I mean, there's there's probably not a lot of better tight ends in free agency. I will grant you that. So maybe you would just want to ride the the course with Ertz. Maybe keep him on your bench, start someone else at tight end. But if you don't want to roster two tight ends and you have like somebody on your bench like Mike Jasicki or Evan Ingram or somebody boom or bust that's just been better than Ertz because granted, who hasn't? I think it's okay to part ways with Zach Ertz. I think he's I think he's pretty much done for. And it's a shame. It's a fourth round pick. But you know what? Things change fast. You know, it just it just looks like a lost season for him. Maybe he's playing hurt. We don't really know. But it's a sunk cost. The fourth round pick that you spent on him is a sunk cost. So you can feel free to move on if you want to. Miles Sanders, he is on the uppity up. 11 carries, 80 yards, two touchdowns, two catches, 19 yards for Sanders. And that's against Pittsburgh. That's a brutal matchup. And Sanders had a good game. Although the vinyl line is somewhat deceptive because nearly all of his yards came on a 74-yard touchdown run early in the game. And he only had six yards on his other 10 carries. But he had a goal line touchdown on one of them as well. So two touchdowns in this game. And it's against the Steelers. So that's an impressive run. And Sanders looked very shifty in the backfield on some of his short gains. And again, he had the goal line touchdown. He's a workhorse for the Eagles. He's just a workhorse for a bad offense, which the Eagles is, with a ton of injuries to pass catchers and offensive linemen. And this is kind of an ideal outcome considering the Eagles' tough opponent against the Steelers. I don't know if another... Running back will have this type of day against the Steelers. But Miles Sanders still in every week, uh, low-end RB1 just because of the volume alone and his catching ability, of course. All right, let's get to the Thursday night recap because I've not done that one yet. The Chicago Bears, they upset the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 20-19 on Thursday night football. The Bears are 4-1 and and the Bucs are 3-2. and I won't really spend time talking about Nick Foles. He wasn't that great in this game, but he did do a decent job managing the game enough to win. Allen Robinson has looked pretty good under Nick Foles. In the last three games for Allen Robinson, 10 catches, 123 yards, and a touch against Atlanta. Seven catches, 101 yards, and a touch against Indy. And both those games, a lot of that production was in garbage time, but who cares? He wasn't doing that with Trubisky in the first two starts. And then in this game, 10 catches, 16 targets, 90 yards, no scores. So three good games in a row with Nick Foles for Allen Robinson. doesn't matter how they come. Robinson had a nice heated battle in this game with Carlton Davis, the cornerback for the Bucks. Davis had an interception early in this game, but he was giving A-Rob a lot of soft coverage, just making sure he wasn't getting beat deep. And he was allowing a lot of short hitches, which were easy completions for Nick Foles, at least most of them. Nick Foles actually missed him wide open on one of those completions. But, but nevertheless... Things are looking good. Things are looking strong for Allen Robinson with Nick Foles at quarterback. David Montgomery, things are looking a little better for him as well. This was a brutal spot for Montgomery, and he lost his starting center, James Daniels, early in this game. And it was against a, a, a tough Bucks run defense, one of the best run defenses in the league. Although they did just lose Vita Vey, their stud nose tackle. But Montgomery, 10 carries, 29 yards, which is what you would expect in the rushing department here. But guess what? He scored a rushing touchdown, seven catches in this game for Montgomery, 30 yards. And Montgomery was used again as a workhorse without Tariq Cohen. His touchdown was a rugged three-yarder in the second quarter, which was a rarity, as the Bears usually prefer throwing fades to Jimmy Graham in the red zone. And they did. Jimmy Graham did catch his fifth red zone touchdown of the year in this one from further out. 
But Montgomery displayed, I don't know, limited explosiveness on some plays, but also he, he displayed great tackle-breaking ability on other plays against a stout Bucks run defense. So it was a little bit of a mixed bag, but the most encouraging aspect was receiving game usage. Most of it was on short dump-offs, but there was a one huge completion to help win the game on a wheel route. And these catches are really helping Montgomery's PPR floor. He's a, he's a mid to low end RB2 on most weeks. As for Tom Brady's Bucks, 253 passing yards, one touchdown for Tom Brady. I mentioned that it was probably going to be a low scoring game going into this game. So I probably wouldn't be using Brady. And that ended up proving uh, to be a good prediction there. But it was a pretty easy prediction because the Bears defense has been pretty good this year. But also Chris Godwin was out for this game. OJ Howard out for this game. Linda Fournette basically out for this game, although he's technically active, but he didn't play. Um, it was announced that he was used as an emergency back only. And LaShawn McCoy also out for this game. So Tyler Johnson was the leading receiver in this game for Tom Brady. Scotty Miller, he played but went into it questionable with uh, with an injury. Mike Evans also played. He was also questionable with an injury. So this is just a tough game for Brady considering that his receivers are all, his pass catchers are all banged up here. And Brady was a check down machine like against the Bears who got a lot of pressure on Brady and the offensive line just committed several bad penalties, allowed Brady to get sacked three times and hit even more. Uh, Brady, I don't know, I'm not going to argue that Brady choked, but I thought I thought the Bucks kind of choked away an easy win with their sloppiness here. And the refs also kind of bailed the Bears out on one particular pass, uh, roughing the passer penalty that really allowed them to win the game. But Brady forced a throw in the final drive, what he thought was third down, but it was actually fourth down. He kind of got made fun of by all of fantasy Twitter and the world the next day. Uh, his supporting cast, it just wasn't that good. And Brady just overall, he just kind of struggled in this one, but it was a predictable struggle uh, spot here. So I'm not going to read too much into it until he gets his pass catchers back. Mike Evans saved his day with a touchdown there. He had five catches, 41 yards, and a touchdown with Chris Godwin out. He had nine targets, which is good. But he was questionable in this game with the short on the short week with the ankle injury. And Evans is essentially the Bucks' goal line running back this season, even though he's a wide receiver, because he scored on yet another two-yard touchdown in the first quarter. I feel like that's his third or fourth short touchdown, like within two yards this year. So they really have a great connection, he and Brady do, at the goal line. And otherwise, he didn't really have a great night, but he gutted, out, he gutted it out on his bum ankle. And now he has 10 days, a longer rest period, to heal up for week six. And he appeared kind of hobbled on the opening drive, but he never did check out in this game. Chris Godwin was inactive for this game. I mentioned Little Fournette. He was active, but he was emergency back only. So Ronald Jones had another good game. Scotty Miller, by the way, total goose egg. What a flop. I mentioned that I really like him as a play. Prior to that game, I thought he was a great sleeper play. And I even started him in one of my leagues, and that was just a total, total disaster. I don't think he was nearly as healthy as his game tag let on when he was ruled able to play. He probably shouldn't have played in this, but he was just totally invisible. Ronald Jones, I also mentioned that I like starting him this week. He had a good game, 17 yards. Or sorry, seven. no, that wouldn't be a good game. 17 carries, 106 yards, three catches, 19 yards receiving. And it's it's just that it's his second straight 100-yard rushing day. And both, of course, minus Fournette and LaShawn McCoy. But Jones, he should have had a receiving touchdown near the end of the first quarter. But he was ruled down before kind of rolling in the end zone. And, And upon review, it was still unclear where the defender actually touched Jones on the way to the ground. So I actually thought that Ronald Jones kind of got robbed there. 
and Mike Evans ended up scoring the touchdown like on the next play. So, yeah, so that that's a shame there. But Ronald Jones, two good weeks in a row, and I think we can trust him until his job is taken, which I do feel like is an inevitability. But for now, he is good to go as the Bucks lead back. Moving on to probably the most shocking game of the week, and that is the Dolphins destroying and embarrassing the 49ers. 47 to 13. They had 30 points at halftime. Both teams are now 2 and 3. The 49ers are trending very, very downward. Ryan Fitzmagic showed up in this game. 350 passing yards, three touchdowns, zero interception. In Fitzmagic, he just shredded the emergency starter slash practice squad replacement corner Brian Allen in this game. Just totally. It was like, you almost felt bad for the guy. I mean, they were targeting him almost every single play with the Niners missing their starting three cornerbacks in this game. And Fitz Magic, he scorched Brian Allen for a number of huge plays to Preston Williams and Devontae Parker. And the Dolphins could have hung 60 points if they had not really kept settling for so many field goals in a non-competitive game. Jason Saunders in this game, their kicker, had like 20 fantasy points. Uh, I think it was the first or second best day for kickers of the whole season, along with that, uh, I think it was a six-field goal effort from Stephen Goskowski uh, in week three, I think, against the Vikings. But but that's just kicker talk for you. Preston Williams, he did show up in this game for the first time all season. Five targets, four catches, 106 yards, and a touchdown. He took advantage of the 49ers missing three starting cornerbacks and picking on that practice squad cornerback I mentioned. Uh, and he did... You know, he ate Brandon Allen alive, or Brian Allen alive on that 47-yard gain from the Dolphins' first play of scrimmage. And then his score was 32 yards out, where he split the safeties near the goal line. He finally had his breakout game, but was it a product of the favorable matchup? Yeah, probably. I'm not going run to get Preston Williams in free agency. I'll put a like a minimum bid on him, but this is this is something where I think it was mainly matchup based, and it probably will be end up being a one-off. But we will see. Williams does have talent. Uh, Devontae Parker also has talent, more talent than Williams. Three targets, two catches, 50 yards, and a touchdown. So Parker didn't get have his number called often on a day where Ryan Fitzmagic threw for 350 passing yards. But Parker, he did make the most of his limited opportunities. He roasted Brian Allen once again with the Niners missing three cornerbacks. And Preston Williams was a star today, but Devontae Parker is an every week wide receiver too going forward. I'd be happy to have him on my teams. Mike Jasicki. Had a nice rebound performance from, I believe it was two or three bad weeks in a row. But six targets, five catches, 91 yards. Good game for a tight end there. And Jasicki kind of revived on a 70-yard reception where he simply just ran by the second level of the 49ers defense. He only generated 21 yards on his other four grabs, but this was a good game from Jasicki. And moving on to the running game, this was one of the big stories of the day for the Dolphins, or really in this game, was, was Jordan Howard was ruled a healthy scratch before this game. So he was healthy, but he just wasn't active. And that is huge news for Miles Gaskin that he's taken over Jordan Howard's role, albeit minimal, because Jordan Howard was the goal line back in Miami. And he did, Gaskin did seed nine carries to Matt Breida. He had 16 carries, 57 rushing yards, and a touchdown on the day, but five catches and 34 receiving yards as well. And Gaskin outtouched Breida 21 to 10 overall. And his touchdown was a one-yard goal on Rumble, which is so important seeing as Jordan Howard, like I said, likely would have had that touch had he been active. So Miles Gaskin, a free agent find on your waiver wires, is now like an every-week running back too. He's getting the volume on a Dolphins team that's with Ryan Fitzmagic's been better than a lot of people thought. As for the 49ers, it was 
ugly. Jimmy Garoppolo is returning from his high ankle sprain. Tough to trust in his first game back, and that proved to be very true. 77 passing yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions. That was all before halftime because he exited slash the Niners benched him at halftime to, quote-unquote, protect Jimmy Garoppolo playing through his ankle injuries. I think this was more of a benching than anything. Garoppolo's interceptions were just airmails. He just looked as bad as a starting quarterback could possibly look in this game. So again, I think this is more of a benching, but I think they'll continue to trot Jimmy Garoppolo out there as long as he's healthy, and they'll say it's based on all the injury, but this was just a bad game by Jimmy G. If he does it again or one or two more times, we could see a quarterback controversy with C.J. Bettered in this game, and Bettered came in in relief there over Nick Mullins. But he wasn't that. He was a little better. He was able to move the ball at least, but just not score really any points. Brandon Ayuk, three catches, 44 yards. You're just not going to have a great receiving day from the pat when the passing game is this bad. He didn't have any rushes in that game. It's possible because that's because Raheem Mostert's return. Uh, it's possible that was the reason there. So that's not looking good for Brandon Ayuk. Debo Samuel, two catches, 19 yards. He did have eight targets, which is you know tied for the team league. Most of them were off target, of course, with their bad passing day. But I think this is a promising sign for Zebo Sam. You weren't likely starting him anyway, or at least I advise you not to start him anyway because he's still coming off, not a full-time player coming off that injury. The biggest disappointment in the passing game, of course, was George Kittle. Four, eight targets, four catches, 44 receiving yards, no touchdowns. And Kittle was, of course, hamstrung by the 49ers' awful passing in the blowout loss. Uh, hopefully they can get their quarterback situation settled and George Kittle can be, uh, obviously, going back to his dominant self. Raheem Mostert, he returned for the 49ers running game. 11 carries for 90 yards, nothing in the passing game. And Mostert, this was his first game back from the MCL sprain. He looked healthy and immediately just laid to waste Jarek McKinnon. Mostert notched a 5-yard run, like one 5-yard run after another, you know, before popping loose for a 37-yarder in the first half. He was the only bright spot for the Niners' offense and then the Niners passing attack just went off the rails and their defense couldn't stop the Dolphins kind of game scripting out uh, Raheem Mostert. And plus he was coming off the injury, so there's no reason for the Niners to push him. Jarek McKinnon did nothing in this game. One carry, zero yards, four targets, two catches, five yards. It was just a totally discombobulated offense. Raheem Mostert played 31 of the 64 snaps in this game. I think I mentioned you should sell Jarek McKinnon high after last week's game. I mean, that, yeah. You should have sold Jarek McKinnon high if you did not. Because Raheem Mostert is the running back to roster in San Francisco. Jarek McKinnon, just a change of pace back. Moving on to the Dallas Cowboys. They needed a game-winning drive from Andy Dalton and a last-second field goal to outpace the winless New York Giants. 37-34. Dallas leads the NFC least at 2-3. and three. Dak Prescott exited this game with a broken ankle in the third quarter. It looks like his season is over. No! Andy Dalton, I'll talk about him in the waiver wire show. He came in relief and completed 9 of 11 passes for 111 passing yards, including the game-winning field goal drive thanks to two great catches by Michael Gallup. Dak Prescott, for what it's worth, had 166 Passing yards in this game, no touchdowns, passing, one interception, but he did have a receiving touchdown on a kind of Philly special-like play earlier in the game. But, you know, 
gosh, best wishes and prayers to Dak Prescott in his recovery. I know he's going to come back just as strong. And the saddest part about all this, of course, is that he's in this contract year and he took a gamble on himself and he was he was balling out. He's playing the best football of his career, arguably better than any quarterback in the league. And he deserves to get paid. But unfortunately, the NFL is a grueling business and it's not really about what players deserve based on past events. It's about contract negotiations about how they can help you in the future. What they've deserved is irrelevant to a contract negotiation. I mean, it might be relevant to some, but if I were negotiating it, it doesn't matter because the contract is all about the future. And I know that's kind of a heartless way of looking at it, but I absolutely do believe that Dak's value, unfortunately, is lessened by this injury and he will receive millions and millions and millions of dollars less than what he would have had this injury not occur especially considering he was on pace for like a career year for any quarterback. And, you know, I love Dak Prescott, and it's a shame. Like, fantasy football has to lose him. It's a shame that this has to happen. He's such a great guy. He's one of the awesome guys in the NFL. But this is just a tough situation. It was tough to watch. Uh, I admire his pain tolerance. I mean, he was only crying on the cart because, like, of the situation, because he was out. Like, when he got hurt— he, he was just kind of looking at his ankle like, uh, yeah, that doesn't look like it's supposed to. And the compound fracture, you know, is totally bending the other way. You know, it's just a disgusting injury. But again, you know, I, I thought it was, it showed that his, it showed his toughness. The fact that he wasn't even just like wincing in pain, honestly. I don't know. It was all just a very, very tough scene. And I just have the world of respect for Dak Prescott. But unfortunately, you know, we have to play. Fantasy football without him, we have to watch the rest of the games without him, and unfortunately, this is going to hurt in his contract negotiations. And hey, if Dallas doesn't want him, you know, I'll take him for the Saints, but I'm sure they will try to work something out in Dallas. And I don't expect him to go much of anywhere, but we will see if Jerry Jones continues to play hardball there. But you know, for the, in terms of for the fantasy landscape, you know, obviously. This decreases the values of Amari Cooper, who was off to a sensational start this year. CeeDee Lamb, uh, Michael Gallup. I think it, it's in terms of having a backup quarterback come in, Andy Dalton's one of the best-case scenarios because Dalton has shown in the past that he can play at a high level. Or not really at a high level, but he, he can support fantasy options when he has a good supporting cast around him, and he does in Dallas. I'm a little worried about that offensive line, but he has good pass catchers, of course. And I think a lot of people are saying that this helps Ezekiel Elliott somehow. I disagree. I think Dallas will be a worse team. I think this definitely hurts Ezekiel Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott was getting a lot of targets as well this year. That was what was driving his fantasy value in PPR leagues because the Cowboys were always trailing in these games. And now we don't know if Andy Dalton's going to feed Zeke in the passing game. And we don't know with this offensive line that Dallas has with so many injuries, we don't know if they're going to be able to establish Ezekiel Elliott without Dak having the threat or having the threat of the passing game there. So no, I think it's a downgrade for all of the Dallas offense, including their kicker, Greg Zerline. I mean, honestly, it's a brutal blow. I mean, there's no other way to spin it. And I'm not a fan of all these experts, fancy experts in the community. I see like trying to put a positive spin on it. I'm sorry. It's just not, they lost their star quarterback and that's just the way it is. It sucks if you have CeeDee Lamb, it sucks if you have Amari Cooper, it sucks if you have Michael Gallup. Although, I will say about Gallup that it may not suck if you have Gallup, actually, because Gallup already wasn't playing well with Dak Prescott, and this change of scenery might actually help him. We saw it a little bit 
in what was a sleepy game before the final drive with when Gallup made two incredible downfield catches like tightroping the sideline to get two feet in on both of these to set up the game-winning field goal for Dallas. It looked like Dalton was really just trusting Gallup uh, to make these catches, and we know Gallup has the talent. And, and according to Jared Smola, Gallup played 97% of the Cowboys' snaps in this game, while Cooper only played 64%, and Lamb only played 55%, which is very weird. Weird, but my point is that you know if it helps anyone in the Dallas offense, it actually is Michael Gallup because we've seen him play poorly under Dak, despite this career year from Dak, where he's throwing for five million passing yards this year. And now this might cause a spark for Gallup. You never know. You never know who Dalton is going to lock on, and it could be Gallup. And that's why, you know, by default, you know, this probably helps Gallup and hurts the rest of the receivers. But we will see. That's just my guess. CeeDee Lamb was having a sensational, or he did have a sensational game in this game. 11 targets, 8 catches, 124 yards, 0 touchdowns against the Giants. Gallup and Cooper, they combined for 3 catches until the game's final drive. So Lamb was just like a one-man show with Dak Prescott for most of this game, and he was just doing whatever he wanted in the middle of the field. But we will see how Andy Dalton uh, utilizes CeeDee Lamb there. Amari Cooper, four targets, two catches, 23 yards, and a total dud. I mentioned that he had a brutal matchup against James Bradbury in this game. It's just tough to sit Amari Cooper, so he probably started him, uh, and I would have as well. But James Bradbury, number one pro football-focused cornerback, uh, coming into this game, and he probably will remain that way after shutting down Amari Cooper. He shut down pretty much every receiver that he has faced, uh, and it's weird because he's on the Giants, so you don't expect to see that. But that's what's happened so far this year. Amari Cooper, total dud of the game. This Obviously, the Dalton news hurts Cooper as well. And I will talk more about Andy Dalton when we get to the waiver wire portion of this show. Ezekiel Elliott had a good game, 20 carries. 91 yards, two touchdowns, one catch for 14 yards. Ezekiel Elliott, he pounded one in from one yard out before getting stuffed on the previous play, or after getting stuffed on the previous play. And he scored again from 12 yards out on a really nifty run, like right after Dak went down. Okay, let's talk about the Giants' side of the ball. Daniel Jones, another bad game here. 222 passing yards, zero touchdowns, and a fumble loss. Another fumble loss. Like He loses a fumble like every week, it feels like. Sterling Shepard was out. Obviously, Saquon Barkley was out. and it's it, But it's against one of the league's worst defenses. And Jones still couldn't produce a touchdown. He's now gone four straight games without scoring a touchdown, which is really, really hard to do in the modern era, era regardless of your situation. And Jones had four games last season with four more touchdowns. And that just seems like ancient history. Jones actually did have a touchdown to Darius Slayton. He called back by an iffy Offensive pass interference call on a pick play. But this was at least his first game without an interception, but he did lose a fumble. He is not usable in fantasy football. Darius Slayton, he is usable. Eight catches, 20, 129 yards, zero touchdowns. But again, he had that touchdown called back on a pick play. It was a really questionable call on a pick play by wide receiver, uh, another wide receiver near him. And he just shredded the Dallas barely there defense after a slew of tough matchups to open the season, I like Darius Slayton going forward, even though Sterling Shepard does return. Probably not this week, but the next week. Sterling Shepard was out. Again, I expect him back in week seven, but not week six. We will see. Evan Ingram, man, it is it is rough in the receiving game for Evan Ingram. One catch, 16 yards on two targets. Luckily, he had a rushing touchdown to save his day for fantasy football, and this would have been a terrible day. He also had a catch on a fake field goal called back by a, a ticky-tack illegal shift penalty, but that wasn't thrown by Daniel Jones. That was just kind of a fluky fake play. There's not much to really see there. 
Uh, Evan Ingram just running just so many short patterns, not really being used as downfield threat, just not liking this new Jason Garrett offense. Evan Ingram is not. Um, for the Giants running game, pretty good stuff by Devonta Freeman. I mentioned he was a pretty good flex option start this week, and he found the end zone 60 rushing yards. He looks pretty good, like not bad. He's not getting the full workload. They're still using Deion Jones and still using Wayne Gallman on occasion, but Freeman is the, the lead back. And I think that he's a flexible option going forward. Moving on to the Washington football team, uh, Dwayne Haskins was out for this game and he was benched. So Kyle Allen started and he was knocked out in the second quarter. So that means Alex Smith came in relief miraculously. He mainly checked it down, uh, but he took some hits under a relentless Rams pressure. And Smith deserves a world of credit for just being out there after a horrific career-threatening and nearly life-threatening leg injury. Uh, So great stuff for Alex Smith. I suspect he will win the Comeback Player of the Year award, even if he plays no further snaps this season. But I expect he will play further snaps this season because Kyle Allen probably is not going to hold on to this job for much longer, maybe a few more games. And honestly, Dwayne Haskins, he was drafted by the former regime, so they have no interest in Dwayne Haskins. He'll probably get traded before the deadline. So Terry McLaurin, unfortunately, he did not jive well with Alex Checkdown King, which is Alex Smith. Three catches, 26 yards on seven targets. Uh, the quarterback issues with Cal Allen starting and exiting, and then Alex Smith coming in having no, not a lot of practice with McLaurin. That was obviously an issue. Uh, Smith was understandably very conservative with the ball given his injury, and Smith, you know, returned to his checkdown ways. It was also driving rain in this game, as I mentioned, so it was difficult to move the ball anyway for Terry McLaurin. Bad game for him. As far as the running game goes, Antonio Gibson, 11 rushes, 27 rushing yards, five catches, 24 receiving yards. That was all in the first quarter, oddly. And then he had no other catches. J.D. McKissick, who is currently fourth in the NFL in running back targets, including seeing eight in this game. Um, He came in when the Washington football team was trailing, and he became the receiving down running back. Gibson played 56% of the snaps, while McKissick played 50% of the snaps. And Washington is one of two teams that have trailed by double digits at some point with the ball in every game this season, the Jets being the other one. Uh, Gibson was continually stuffed at the line of scrimmage on his runs. He had a long run of six yards. Um, you know, they want to make Gibson the centerpiece of the offense as long as game script permits, but game script has not permitted, as I just mentioned. Moving on to the Cleveland Browns. They had a statement win against the Colts, 32-23. to The Browns are now 4 and one, Baker Mayfield, 247 passing yards, two interceptions, and two touchdowns. And Mayfield, he took a hard hit from Justin Houston and exited with a ribs injury uh, late in the fourth quarter. And he'll undergo x-rays, and we'll see how serious this injury is. He's already said that he is going to play in the next week's game despite his bruised ribs. And he, he said he was going to do that because his mama raised a tough boy or something like that. Something weird quote like that. But anyway, Mayfield, he was under siege in the second half, but he still hung in the pocket and absorbed hits. He gave Jarvis Landry, who had two costly drops, uh, a chance on a lot of downfield balls. And his two touchdowns were a product of Mayfield buying time in the flats while keeping his eyes upfield. His interception was pretty ugly. Or one of his interceptions was pretty ugly. However, Odell Beckham, nine targets, five catches, 58 receiving yards. Beckham's lone highlight was a leaping grab and tight coverage where he managed to corral the ball while going to the ground when it somewhat luckily bounced off his biceps instead of hitting the ground as as it 
got loose a little bit when he was coming down. And Mayfield, he sailed a pass over his head in the end zone after a play fake, so he could have had a touchdown in this game, Beckham. But it was a slow game as expected against a stingy Colts defense. Jarvis Landry had a much better game than I expected. Nine targets, four catches, 88 yards. And Landry opened up this game with gains of 32 and 18 receiving yards on his first two catches. But he struggled to get up. After being sandwiched by defenders, he was shaken up for a bit after that. And that could explain his two costly drops in the final quarter. He had an amazing catch over a defender's head in this game, kind of reaching back for the ball. And in Mayfield's 37 attempts, they just aren't really reliable. According to Field Yates, however, I wanted to point out this. Landry now has multiple catches in 100 straight games. One of five players to ever do that. And he's never missed a game in his career. So an Iron Man, Jarvis Landry is. Moving on to the Browns running game, Nick Chubb was a did not play. He was absent for this game. He'll miss games up until probably around week 10. And Kareem Hunt was the workhorse bell cow in this game, Sands Chubb. He earned 103 yards, hard-earned yards, I should say. And the Browns, they lost stellar offensive guard Wyatt Teller mid-game. And, and Hunt, he battled cramps in the final frame of this game. And Hunt was basically a wide receiver in a scramble jail on his receiving touchdown, leaping to make the catch between two defenders. Watching it live, it looked like it was Jarvis Landry making this play, which is Hunt's always been such a great receiver. Dearness Johnson, only eight carries, 32 rushing yards, one catch for four yards. And he got most of his work on the last two possessions while Hunt was cramping. Before that, this was the Kareem Hunt show. So that kind of answers questions I have about whether this is going to be a running back by committee without Nick Chubb. It's probably not. And De'Aaron Johnson, he did have one 28-yard gain in the final quarter, but he was just an afterthought in the game plan. Austin Hooper in this game had 50 yards and a score. I mean, I guess he's worth an ad if he's in free agency. I mean, you can't really do much worse at tight end. I mean, I don't know. It, tight end is just horrible if you don't have one of the elite guys this year. Um, let's see. Phillip Rivers was atrocious in this game. Horrible, terrible, just abysmal. 243 passing yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions. He attempted 33 yards, I mean, 33 passes in this game. They may as well have gone for 33 yards. Uh, because of the negative game script here, and he committed an ugly safety on an intentional grounding uh, call in his, in his own end zone. He was under pressure, missing his starting left tackle, facing Miles Garrett. Uh, you know, the safety was a turning point in the game. Rivers threw, you know, a walk-in pick six, displaying his true lack of arm strength. You know, he found Marcus Johnson and Ashton Duel in like no-name players for 35-yard strikes, but this was just about it for the age quarterback who really did show his age in this game. He is not a fantasy football factor at all, and he is serving to limit this passing game, including T.Y. Hilton. 10 targets, 6 catches, 69 receiving yards. This was Hilton's season high, sadly, but Hilton committed uh, commanded a 30.3 target share with Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell out. Rivers was finally forced to throw a negative game script the first time all season. Uh, Hilton got the usage. But Rivers overthrew Hilton a few times, and Hilton also had a short drop in this game. Nobody else is really worth talking about in this passing game for the Colts. They're doing like a three-way split with their tight ends there. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, 12 rushes, 57 yards, one score, two catches for 17 yards against Cleveland. Pretty nondescript game. Taylor kind of walked into the end zone on his four-yard cutback. Touchdown run, but that's kind of where the excitement ended. Uh, he wasn't really afforded an opportunity with the Browns up 27-17 to in the third quarter. Phillip Rivers attempted an ugly 33 passes, and Taylor out-touched Naeem Hines 14-5. to All in all, just pretty ugly game by the Colts. A day filled by field goals with Rodrigo Blackenship, who actually leads all kickers in fancy points right now. And 
the Colts also had a defensive score, or I should say a special team score in this game. All right, moving on to the Sunday Night Football game between the Seattle Seahawks they and the Minnesota Vikings. Seattle came from behind with some Russ Wilson magic on a game-winning drive to stun the Minnesota Vikings, who controlled the game for three quarters. 27-26 was the final score. Seahawks are now 5-0, and heading into their bye week. It was another MVP performance from Russ Wilson, 217 yards, three touchdowns, one interception, but five rushes, 58 rushing yards in this game. And this was, the, this was despite the fact that the Vikings dominated time of possession and plays, and they took a 10-0 lead in the half. And Russ, he started the game 15 for 15 passing and really got things opened up in the second half, ultimately leading Seattle to a sick comeback win in a two-minute, 90-yard drive drill. Um, All of Russell Wilson's three touchdowns were red zone scores, and Wilson already has 1,500 passing yards on the season. So he's averaging a little over 300 yards passing a game and a 19-3 touchdown to interception ratio this year. The Seahawks are 5-0, like I mentioned. Russ is cooking. And the, the Seahawks, what's more impressive is they only ran like 54 offensive plays in this game. Tyler Lockett was a victim of the game flow and the lack of possessions here. Uh, it, it's just another low-volume game for Tyler Lockett. I think he's a great buy-low right now after his second dud in a row. Everyone's talking about DK Metcalf right now. Tyler Lockett's five targets were behind DK Metcalf, who had 11, and Chris Carson, who had seven. And the Seahawks, they again, they only played 54 offensive snaps. Tyler Lockett uh, went, uh, could have had a catch at the one-yard line or maybe scored, but he, he dropped that pass. I don't know. I think right now is a good time to buy Tyler Lockett low, but I have to be ranking DK Metcalf over Tyler Lockett at this point. Eleven targets for Metcalf, six catches, ninety-three yards, two touchdowns. Metcalf scored the game-winning touchdown on a play where Tyler Lockett couldn't, and this was on Seattle's final drive of the night with seconds to spare. He also dropped a touchdown, like a play or two before that. And Wilson went back to Metcalf, finding him in traffic. Metcalf has been just unstoppable this season with and with two bad games in a row for Tyler Lockett, Metcalf is just resuming number one wide receiver duties for Ross Wilson, a very good place to be. Uh, Chris Carson, also a very good place to be in Seattle there. They're not running the ball as much, only eight carries, 52 yards, but he had a touchdown and he had six catches for 27 yards. Carson had just three carries at halftime in a game that, or in a half that the Vikings controlled time of possession. He fell victim to game script in the second half, but he managed to salvage his night with a 29-yard touchdown off a turnover where he ran through the heart of the Vikings' defense, like right up the gut. And Carson's seven targets were second on the team. Carlos Hyde was inactive for this game. As for the Vikings, Kirk Cousins, a pretty solid game. I mentioned that he might be good as a streamer for 250 yards and two touchdowns in this game. Well, he had 249 yards and two touchdowns in this game. He also had an interception, unfortunately. Uh, Kirk Cousins, he worked his connection with tight end Irv Smith, who had four catches for 64 yards on five targets in the first half. But then Smith just kind of got phased out, I guess. I don't know. Smith had a few nice athletic grabs, making washer, making watchers like me wonder why the Vikings aren't featuring him more. You know, I had Smith being a sleeper uh, going into this season, and gosh, I you know, I wish, I wish. But the 39 pass attempts were a season high as Cousins was forced to play without Dalvin Cook for the second half, who I'll get to in a second. Cousins had one bad interception. With uh, that, you know, one-handed snap snag by KJ Wright, but they, but he put the Vikings in position to win late in the fourth quarter. 
So overall, pretty good game from Kirk Cousins. The Vikings offense playing better than they started this season. Adam Thielen had the game of the night for the Minnesota Vikings. 13 catches, or sorry, 13 targets, 9 catches, 80 yards, and 2 touchdowns. Adam Thielen is a top two wide receiver in fantasy football right now, which is great because I had a strong stance on Adam Thielen, ranking him as a top five wide receiver when every other expert had him at like wide receiver 10. Uh, Thielen, he scored both of his touchdowns on red zone throws. No other Vikings receiver had more than five targets. Thielen had 13. It's just another strong game for Thielen who showed his amazing route running ability, literally hurting a defender on a hard cut, like breaking his ankles when he scored his touchdown. And the defender was dealing with an ankle injury afterwards. It's just it's just a testament to how great Adam Thielen is at football. Justin Jefferson, not quite great at NFL football just yet. He's shown some flashes, but in this game, he disappeared. Five targets, three catches, 23 yards. And this was a very good spot against Seattle as well. He was very quiet in this one, taking a backseat to Adam Thielen and even Irv Smith. The Vikings ran the ball really well, and they played great defense in the first half. So his game script was not in Jefferson's favor. They tried to get him going on a deep play-action post-pass when he was open. He was open on it, but Cousins was pressured on the play, couldn't get it off. And this was a disappointing game considering the Vikings played a whopping 87 snaps in this game, uh, by far a season high. So moving on to the running game here, Dalvin Cook, he exited with a groin injury early in the third quarter. He was having a good game before that. I think he had 80 yards and a touchdown in this game. So he still gave you a pretty solid fantasy day. But Alexander Madison looked great. Actually, I'll say he looked outstanding in the second half in relief. 20 carries, 112 yards for Madison. He looked extremely fast, as did Mike Boone on a few touches. And they both just had some splash runs, but especially Madison. The Gary Kubiak zone blocking system was was cooking in this game, just destroying Seattle. And Madison fell one, one yard short on a fourth and one for the win where he picked the wrong hole. But Alexander Madison is expected to face the, he is going to face the Falcons this week uh, without Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook expected to miss this game. So Alexander Madison, make sure he is not on your waiver wire. He's going to be like a top five play in fantasy football next week. And he should, like I mentioned last week, that Madison and Chase Edmonds and Tony Pollard should not be on any free agents because of this type of thing. We knew Dalvin Cook at some point was going to get hurt. Now, it doesn't look like he's going to miss a lot of time. He'll probably just miss this one week and then they have the bye week and he'll get healthy. But still, Alexander Madison is in a position to thrive here. And let's move on to our last game of the day. That is the New Orleans Saints. They rallied from a 20-3 deficit to defeat the Los Angeles Chargers. 30-27 to in overtime on Monday Night Football. The Saints are now 3-2. and The Chargers are 1-4. and And Drew Brees could not move the ball in the first half. It was ugly. The Saints offense looks pathetic. There was even talks among fantasy Twitter that Jameis Winston time is, is approaching. And that maybe Breeze should just sit the second half. But Breeze kind of quieted those talks when he rallied the troops and had a nice dink and dunk drive or touchdown drive right before halftime. But it was looking rough for like the first 25 minutes of this game. His interception in the first half was a horrible overthrow right to the safety. But luckily, Drew Brees, he found a groove in the second half and erased a 17-point deficit. 325 passing yards for Drew Brees. One touchdown, one interception. So not a great fantasy day. But Drew Brees... Did have a 41-yard hookup with Jared Cook, and that was his farthest traveling pass this season. And the defense looked legitimately surprised Drew Brees could throw that far or beat them over the top. I was surprised as well. And Brees had a rushing touchdown 
on his signature reach over the play at goal line. So I should say it was a better fantasy day than I mentioned. It was a good but not great game. So it is worth noting that Taysom Hill played in critical moments and had a goal line rushing touchdown late to tie the game. He remains a nuisance uh, in this offense uh, in terms of Drew Brees' fantasy value here. Uh, Michael Thomas did not play for disciplinary reasons, supposedly, and, and Emmanuel Sanders took advantage. 14 targets, 12 catches, career high for Emmanuel Sanders, by the way. He's had a long, uh, great career. And so the fact that he had a career high here with the Saints, good news. 122 receiving yards, no touchdowns. But this was a game where he looked much more familiar with the Saints offense and showed fantastic chemistry with Drew Brees, just like we everyone expected going into the season because Sanders is such a great route runner and knows how to get open. And we figured this was going to be a great target for Drew Brees. Every time the Saints needed a first down in this game, Sanders popped up and, and mainly working in the intermediate area of the field. Sanders has 56 receiving yards and or a touchdown in four or five games this season. He's heating up after a slow start thanks to a COVID-19 shortened offseason. Now he's understanding where he needs to be, the playbook, etc. Traquan Smith did not follow up his two-touchdown game last week with anything productive in this game. Uh, Jared Cook, two catches, 52 yards, and a touch. Most of it was on a 41-yard touchdown behind three defenders where he got open deep, and Drew Brees surprisingly put it there. Uh, he made the most of his minimal looks, and Cook was questionable going into this Monday night football game, so a lot of people probably didn't have him in their starting lineups. Anyway, Alvin Kamara, 11 attempts, 45 rushing yards, zero touchdowns, uh, 10 targets, 8 catches, 74 receiving yards, so he saved his day in the receiving game like he does sometimes, but no touchdowns for Kamara, not a, definitely not a blow-up game, just a, a solid game here for Kamara. The offense was shut down by the Chargers in the first half. Kamara did drop two passes, one of which was a screen that looked like it was going to go for 20-plus receiving yards. He made up for it with an incredible juggling, juggling catch down the sideline over a defender to set up the game-tying score. Latavius Murray, eight rushes, 34 yards, two catches, two, 23 yards. Had, he had 10 total touches there. This was Kamara's first game without a touchdown, but it was his fourth game, fourth straight game, with 100 or more yards from scrimmage. As for the Los Angeles Chargers, Justin Herbert, 264 passing yards, four touchdowns, four touchdowns, zero interception. Herbert was the best player on the field last night, and unfortunately he couldn't hang on to a 20-3 lead. I guess it's fortunate if you're a Saints fan, like I am, but this was the third game, interestingly, in his four starts where he got a multi-score lead. So he's a quick starter, and th those games were over Pat Mahomes, Tom Brady, and Drew Brees. All of them came back to win. So the rookie has shown, you know, kind of some stagnation in the second half of games. But still, Herbert, he looked like the real deal once again. He was missing his top receiver, Keenan Allen, for most of the contest, and his stud running back, Austin Eckler, for all of the contests, and also missing his starting right guard and right tackle in this game. He evaded an all-out blitz in the first quarter to throw a strike to Keenan Allen uh, for his first touchdown while kind of running backwards or fading away. He found Mike Williams open for a 64-yard uh, receiving touchdown on a coverage bust. And he also hit Hunter Henry on a perfectly placed touchdown where only Henry could get it in the red zone. Justin Herbert was very, very impressive. He needs to be picked up in all leagues, at least as a backup fantasy quarterback. Keenan Allen, two catches, two targets, 
29 yards and a score. He exited with back spasms in the late in the first quarter. He looked well on his way to have a really nice night against the Saints secondary. He can't really cover anybody right now. His touchdown was a nice 17-yard hookup where his quarterback evaded pressure and threw a strike while fading away. As I mentioned, Allen appeared to be in good spirits on the sidelines. The Chargers have a bye this week thanks to the renovated schedule, thanks to some of the COVID reconstructed uh, or reshuffled games there. So the Chargers get a bye right when they need it for Keenan Allen, for their right tackle, uh, Brian Belaga, for their right guard, uh, Tri Turner, to get back healthy, as well as a lot of injuries on defense, including Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram, their other starting defensive end, Uchina. I mean, th- this is a great time for the Chargers to get healthy. They're also missing Chris Harris. I mean, the Saints just got a lot of break with these injuries uh, last night. Mike Williams, great game. Eight targets, five catches, 109 yards, and two touchdowns. He was questionable with a hamstring injury going in. Williams was the Chargers' best weapon after Keenan Allen exited early. And his 64-yard touchdown was a busted coverage by Pat Robinson. And Williams made an incredible sideline game where he, uh, sideline grab where he leapt and high-pointed a ball between two defenders and fell hard on his back like Williams tends to do. But it set up the Chargers for a game-winning field goal with five seconds to play. Uh, the field goal kicker ended up doinking it off the uh, right upright, and that forced overtime. And in overtime, Williams also made some noise because he got tackled just short of the sticks on a fourth and long, which sealed the game for the New Orleans Saints and on a great tackle by Marshawn Lattimore, who otherwise didn't have a very good game. Uh, Hunter Henry, eight targets, four catches, 23 yards, and a score. Henry's first touchdown of the year was a perfectly thrown out route in the red zone, and he was more involved with Keenan Allen exiting early and Austin Eckler out. Eckler was out, so the running game went like this. Justin Jackson got the start over Joshua Kelly and handled 20 touches, totaling 94 yards, compared to Joshua Kelly's 12 touches and 38 yards. So Jackson clearly outplayed Kelly in this game against a tough Saints run defense. So this looks like a running back by committee going forward with probably Justin Jackson being the lead dog until... Austin Eckler returns. Okay, so that is all the matchups so far. We still have one more. That's Bills-Titans. That's tonight. Uh, Go John Brown. But let's wrap up with some Week 6 waiver wire advice. So normally in my leagues, we have the FAB system for our waiver wire system. That's free agent auction budget. And we place bids, uh, monetary bids on players. It's fake money, of course. And... We have a budget of $150, and when we try to add players after after the week, we place bids on players on Tuesday. That's bidding day, and those claims process, like the auction, the automatic auction happens early Wednesday morning, like at like 2 a.m. on Wednesday morning. But this week is a little different because the Bills and Titans play tonight, uh, which is Tuesday, and so the question is, are the bids going to process as normal at 3 you know, at 2 or 3 a.m. on Wednesday morning, or does this just give us an extra day? Because normally today would be bidding day where you place your bids and the auction would be tomorrow. And that's not in every league, but that's how it is in my leagues. However, I did try to add a player to see what ESPN would do uh, to see when it would say that that claim was going to be processed. And I bid on a player and it said that the claim would be processed on Thursday morning. So just make sure that that's what ESPN is planning to do here with the odd week here. 
But I told, I sent a message to my league that that's what we are doing is that we are having our bid day, which is normally on Tuesday. Our bid day is going to be Wednesday. All of Wednesday, you can place your 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 fab bids and then or your waiver claims, whatever system you use uh, on Wednesday. And then Thursday morning is when those claims will process like at, you know, it's normal like 2 or 3 a.m. So that's what we are doing there. Just notify, please let your league know as a commissioner or ask your commissioner so you don't get screwed in that situation. Different leagues are different and different platforms. Like if you're not on ESPN or whatever, that's different as well. So let's move on to waiver wire week six. And four teams have a bye this week. And they're strong teams offensively. So this could be a tough week. We're losing a lot of fantasy statistics this week. The Saints are on bye. The Raiders are on bye. And the Seahawks and the Chargers. So a ton of fantasy output there. Drew Brees, Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, Emmanuel Sanders, Jared Cook, Josh Jacobs, Derek Carr, Henry Ruggs, Darren Waller, Russ Wilson, Chris Carson, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Justin Herbert, Hunter Henry, Keenan Allen, you know, maybe Mike Williams, Justin Jackson. I mean, there's just a lot of star power in these games that we are missing. So let's go by position and talk about the waiver wire ads that you need to be adding here. Justin Herbert. He is on buy this week, so maybe people will spend less fab money on Justin Herbert. I would recommend getting him as a backup quarterback or a quarterback uh, one base streamer. Uh, Herbert, if he's in free agency, yeah, you need to go pick him up. He gets the Miami Dolphins and the Jaguars uh, coming out of the buy, I believe, unless those games were rescheduled. And then he also has the Jets uh, coming up soon as well. So Justin Herbert, definitely go pick him up in free agency. Ryan Fitzpatrick. He gets the Jets at home this week. So he's a great streaming option. He's on fire right now. So, and anyone who plays the Jets is going to likely remain on fire. So if you need a streamer for this week, maybe you have Drew Brees as your quarterback, maybe Derek Carr, Russ Wilson, that's a popular one. Um, yeah, I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is a great streaming option against the Jets. Matt Stafford may have been cut because of a disappointing start. He's also a great streaming option. He's just a good backup quarterback to have with all the weapons that he has, he plays the Jacksonville Jaguars this week. So Ryan Fitzpatrick and Matt Stafford, great streaming options this week. If you can't get them, another one is Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins, he is playing the Falcons this week. You like that? You like that? And yes, we do like that. So Kirk Cousins, another great streaming option. Andy Dalton, if you're in a super flex league, yeah, you're bidding some money on Andy Dalton for sure. But if you have Dak Prescott, yeah, maybe you want Dalton even more. And Dalton, he faces the Arizona Cardinals. So at least it's a good spot for Dalton on Monday Night Football against the Cardinals in his first start with the Dallas Cowboys. And at least that's a nice matchup there. Although I would prefer all the quarterbacks I've named so far over Dalton, at least for this week. At running back, Alexander Madison, the star pickup if he is somehow in free agency. I know Madison is not in free agency in any of my leagues, and he's not in free agency in any real, I would say, real competitive leagues. And he's definitely not in free agency if you followed my advice on last week's show and said, make sure you pick up Alexander Madison and Chase Edmonds and Tony Pollard. Two of the three players end up are going to end up having bigger roles than expected. Alexander Madison, he plays Atlanta this week, and then he has a bye week. And I think Dalvin Cook will come back after the bye week. It's not a very serious growing issue. But I think Dalvin Cook's going to miss this week because they're going to play it safe with him and they're going to want to give him the two weeks of rest. So Alexander Madison is in a great spot start against Atlanta Falcons. I think he's going to be a top five, maybe top ten running back play this week. Make sure Alexander Madison is not in free agency. 
And I would spend a pretty penny on him, honestly, even if it's like, you know, a lot of people may be thinking if he isn't free agency, oh, it's just for one week, it's a one-week rental. Not necessarily. Dalvin Cook could go down again at any point this season. We know his injury history. This is why I tried to advocate getting Alexander Madison on your teams. Chase Edmonds, for different reasons. He is an insurance policy for different reasons, and that's for poor play, not necessarily for injury to Kenyon Drake. But Edmonds is also somebody that I've been stashing on two of my leagues as well and making sure that he's not in free agency. Same for Tony Pollard with Ezekiel Elliott. You never know if Ezekiel Elliott is the next running back to go down. So Tony Pollard, I'm going to mention him here as well. Chase Edmonds is the turning of the guard or the changing of the guard here, it's looking like Edmonds is getting more and more work as the weeks progress, and Kenyon Drake's getting less and less work. So uh, Chase Edmonds, this might be a full-time split, and if anything happens to Drake, Edmonds would be a league winner. Uh, J.D. McKissick and Justin Jackson are my other two guys at running back. Justin Jackson, if he somehow didn't get picked up, I know he was picked up in all my leagues last week, but if he somehow didn't get picked up, then you know he seemed to be the lead dog in the Chargers offense. You can go ahead and pick him up. I wouldn't spend that much on him because Eckler's going to return in about five weeks. But yeah, I mean, if you need a running back pretty badly, yeah, go ahead. Uh, J.D. McKissick is another guy only for PPR leagues. He continues to play a passing down role for the Washington football team. And as long as Kyle Allen is his quarterback, I think there will be check downs there. So yeah, it'll be, you know, he's not... Antonio Gibson is the lead back there. Don't get me wrong. But McKissick's usually good for about eight PPR points a week. So if he's a, he's a desperation flyer, if you need it, just don't be breaking the budget on J.D. McKissick. At wide receiver, Henry Ruggs would be my number one target this week if he's in free agency uh, over Chase Claypool, over some of the other guys I'll mention. But Henry Ruggs is a game changer for this Raiders offense. And I would be bidding a lot of money for fab money on Henry Ruggs if he is in free agency. Nicole Hardman, same for him because we got what we wanted, right? The Sammy Watkins injury, not that we're like ever rooting for players like to get hurt or go down, but Sammy Watkins, he has the hamstring injury. This could unleash McCall Hardman's fantasy value. This is what made him a sleeper. So I think Watkins is going to miss the next like three or four weeks. So go ahead and go spend some fab money on McCall Hardman. He'd be my second uh, probably my third favorite pickup. I'd probably pick up T. Higgins over Hardman if he was there in free agency, which I admit that Ruggs, Hardman, Higgins probably won't be there in most free agencies. I'm just I'm just covering you know my butt here to make sure that people don't listeners don't pass up on them. But Higgins, I prefer Higgins over Claypool, over maybe over Hardman, I would say, not over Ruggs, but Higgins is going to have a strong second half of the season. AJ Green left with the ankle injury in this game or the hamstring injury, I should say. And Higgins, yeah, I think his arrow is pointing upwards. He's gotten at least six targets in his last uh, four straight games. So, yeah, I, I want T. Higgins on my teams if he's there in free agency. Uh, next one, LaVisca Chenault is my fourth favorite receiver uh, that I've mentioned so far. He is trending upwards. DJ Chark just got hurt with his ankle injury. I want LaVisca Chenault on all my teams in the second half of the season. So, yeah, LaVisca, I, and unfortunately, I only have him in one. But LaVisca Chenault, definitely worth an add. Uh, after that, I would say Chase Claypool. I realized that he had like 46 PPR points. Uh, but there's a lot of mouths to feed in Pittsburgh. Uh, Deontay Johnson was hurt for half that game, or most of that game, I should say. There's Juju Smith-Schuster. There's Eric Ebron. There's James Conner. And, of course, Deontay Johnson. I, I don't know. It just seems like a lot to ask. But Claypool, big play threat. He left some meat on the bone as well. I definitely think he's worth placing bids on and, and trying to spend fab money on Chase Claypool, especially if you need a big play guy or you need a wide receiver for these bye weeks. However, 
I wouldn't be totally breaking the bank. I'm not going all in on Claypool, but I am placing bids. Uh, I just wouldn't go nuts. Uh, Brandon Cooks, he's another player I wouldn't go totally nuts for, but I would place bids on. He uh, proved that he is not nearing retirement. He still has uh, he still has a little left in the tank. He'll just be inconsistent. There will be boomer bust games for Brandon Cooks. But as long as we know that he can do it in favorable matchups, then yeah, go ahead and add Brandon Cooks. Travis Fulgham. 150 yards and a touchdown. He was unstoppable against the Steelers. I don't think this was a fluke. I think Fulgham Fulgham is like a pretty good player who Carson Wentz really, really relied on now that Zach Ertz is washed. But I do think it's kind of a short-term rental. So keep that in mind. Alshon Jeffrey is going to come back uh, this year. Deshaun Jackson is going to come back this year. Dallas Goddard probably will come back this year. Jalen Rager will come back this year. And so it's just tough to say. I think that he'll be good while he's still in this situation with all his pass catcher injuries. Uh, not 150 in a touch good, but still good enough to like be starting until those players return, which may be a week or two. But but yeah, I'm not breaking the bank on Travis Fulgham. I am putting some bids out there, though. I do think he should be worth picked up. I don't think this is a total fluke. Preston Williams, probably more of a matchup-based one-off, as I talked about. Uh, but he does get the Jets this week. So this is worth uh, putting a flyer in and seeing a couple of free agents, fab dollars in to see if he's you know turning a corner here. And he may be startable against the Jets, considering all the bye weeks. Christian Kirk is another one. Uh, he gets Dallas this week. He's another desperation flyer. He's had two pretty decent games in a row for fantasy football. Uh, so Kirk is another guy on uh, who could be in free agency that may be worth adding just, just to see. Uh, at tight end, I don't really have a lot of advice. You're pretty much just screwed with what you have here. I guess Jimmy Graham, if he's still there. I guess Drew Sample. I, I don't know. It's just it's tough. Um, it, Ryan Tanyan is starting to look like less and less of like, I mean, he looks like a total fluke. Because all his touchdowns is coming, it's touchdown dependent. It's coming without Devontae Adams, but it's looking like more and more attractive as all the other tight ends just just totally suck. So I'm like really liking the teams that I have Johnu Smith on, and he hasn't even been that great, but like definitely like a top five tight end this year, which isn't even saying that much. If you don't have an elite tight end, it's it's been a rough time at tight end. It's just totally just a scramble like free for all. They just have like great games one week and then just totally bust like the next two or three weeks. It's, it's, it's very odd, uh, but it's not that odd because tight ends never really good. But anyway, kickers, let's talk about kickers. Jason Saunders, the top kicker streamer this week against the New York Jets. Almost any kicker facing the New York Jets is the top kicker streamer, but Saunders had 22 fantasy points uh, last uh, on Sunday, which is amazing. Uh, Mason Crosby, he has a bad matchup against Tampa. But I like the season-long approach of going get Mason Crosby. A lot of uh, roster managers probably uh, dropped him because he had a bye week. And same for Matt Prater. Matt Prater had a bye week as well, so they're probably in free agency. And Crosby and Prater are two legitimate kickers. I prefer Crosby over the long run, so I wouldn't have to really ever set my kicker lineup. I can just play Crosby every week on a winning team with Aaron Rodgers-led offense. But he does have a tough matchup against Tampa this week. Uh, Matt Prater has a much softer matchup, so I prefer Prater for this week, but Crosby for season long. Prater plays the Jacksonville Jaguars, so if Prater's in free agency, go scoop him up. Uh, to play a kicker this week. Steven Goskowski uh, is another kicker streamer you can pick up for this week. He plays the Houston Texans, and he's put up some great numbers for the Titans this year. Uh, 
minus that week one game, which was a disaster. Uh, Joey Sly, he is really coming on strong as this Panthers offense gets better and better. He plays the Bears this week. He's a nice pickup. Ryan Suckup, a tough matchup against Green Bay, but the Bucks offense is coming along. So I would, uh, and it's a good team. The Bucks are three and two, so I would pick up Ryan Suckup if needed. The only kickers that I wouldn't cut for the guys that I just named are Justin Tucker, Harrison Butt Kicker. And Rodrigo Blockenship for the Colts and Zane Gonzalez for the Cardinals. If I don't have one of those four kickers, I'm cutting my one. I'm cutting my kicker for the six kickers that I just named in free agency. Will Lutz, he's a tough one because he is a buy. I think he's okay to drop. I'd prefer to keep him if I can, but you don't have to. If you don't have the roster space to roster two kicker, which you probably shouldn't or don't. The Saints offense not as potent as we imagine, so I think it's okay to cut Will Lutz, even though he was very clutch in this game against the Chargers. Defenses, you obviously want to hold on to the following defenses. The Rams, the Colts, uh, who have been just amazing this year, the Rams and Colts have, uh, the Steelers, the Bucks, the Ravens, and the Patriots. So that's top six defenses right there. I would also hold on to the Chargers if you can afford to hold them during their bye week this week, which is very tough to do. But if you do have an extra roster spot, I think the Chargers schedule really lightens up considerably. And I think that they're worth a stash if you can afford it. Uh, If you don't have one of those defenses or you need a defense for this week, I would go ahead and drop whoever you have a defense. And I would pick up either the Miami Dolphins. I know it sounds crazy, but they play the Jets this week. Uh, and they, they did a number on the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, the Washington football team, I know these sound like terrible defenses, but they are just one-week rent- rentals. They're streamers. They play the New York Giants and Daniel Jones. So that's a, a nice spot for the Washington football team's defense there. The Minnesota Vikings are playing the struggling Falcons who just fired their coach and GM, and and they don't have Julio Jones. So Minnesota Vikings, I and they're playing better lately. They held Russ Wilson for a half at least. So I like the Vikings defense as a streamer this week. And then lastly, the Carolina Panthers. And I never thought I'd be saying this this week or this year, honestly, but they get Nick Foles and the Bears, so not a great offense. But also the Carolina Panthers just, hey, they've been good in the last two weeks. So let's give them their props. Let's play them against Carolina if, I mean, against the Bears if needed. All right, that'll conclude today's lengthy episode. I really hope you enjoyed today's show. I'll be back on Thursday. Please do me a solid. Hit the subscribe button. Give a positive rating or review. Good luck in your games tonight. Good luck to John Brown. I really appreciate everyone supporting the show. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See you.